issues with that. So yeah, we just welcome you, um, living God, to be alive um, in this space with us tonight and be being here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. I'm going to do the kind of um, slightly stand-up comedy vibe of moving the stand straight away. Um, sorry, Connor. Uh, this is I, this is new. This is I, I think this lectern thing is new, and I'm just like really excited. I was like, "What are you so excited about?" Like, <laughs> looking at me. I was like, "This lectern. This is new. It's like it's actually sturdy and won't fall apart." Um, <laughs> Look, I'm Kiratato, my name is Daniel. I'm just trying to like get a like a runway here, right? Um, um, it's really it's taking a long time to sort this out. Um, here we go. I thought I'd bring a water bottle, but I don't know if that's actually helping. Um, anyway, Kiratato, my name is Daniel. If you don't know me, a uh, little bit about myself. Um, I was born in Auckland. Um, then my family moved back to Malaysia when I was three, and then we moved back here when I was 13, and I cried every day for my first year of being here um, in high school. Um, so, you know, that's... I, I am a, 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 lot, a crier. I'm a crier, if you, didn't, if you knew that. I don't know that. Um, um, look, um, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm just nervous eh, right now. I don't know why. Um, I normally try to do a yarn so that it calms my nerves. And um, I, looked at, I looked through my notes app today, being like, oh, I'm, just, I'm sure there's some yarns here. And then I just realized notes apps are weird, right? Like, there's like a whole bunch of like random words. Like, this one says, I saw a woman with, with a walking dog and I thought, how we've tamed nature. Then I think of how nature's tamed us. <laughs> like, why did I write that? <laughs> no, it's 2021, isn't it? <laughs> and, then, and then every so often I meet people and I'm like, I don't know. I can't remember people's names and like what they do. So this one just says, Josh. Red Rabbit, Lower Hut, Euphoria. <laughs> As if we're gonna suddenly remember who that is. Anyway, um, that's my yarn for today. Um, I'll give you more tidbits if you want. Um, um, this week, uh, in the series of Luke, we are looking at chapters 17 and 18. Um, and in these two chapters, we, we get some pretty iconic Jesus moments, um, some bangers, as they say. Um, my impression of James there. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, we've got the mustard seed line, great line. Um, the persistent widow story. Um, the Jesus loves the little children story, great song, banger. Uh, and, and so we've got this kind of cool, um, very quotable arc. Um, but today I want to focus on chapter 18, um, namely the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and which is followed by Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. Um, yeah, I'm just going to start by reading the passages, so um, strap in and get comfortable. So here's Luke 17, verses 9 to 30. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not look up to, even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People who were bringing their babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the children, little children come and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. 
Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Then a certain young ruler, certain ruler, said, asked him, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit life?" Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, "No one is good except God alone." You know the commandments: you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy," he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, "You still lack one thing: sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me." When he heard this, he became really sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, "How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God?" Indeed, it is easier for the camel, a camel, to enter the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard us then asked, "Who can, then can be saved?" Jesus replied, "What is impossible with man is, is possible with God." Peter said to him, "We have left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you," Jesus said, "No one who has left home or wives or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life." Pretty, pretty, pretty big passages. Um, look, today, um, in looking at these two stories, I, I want to explore one idea, and it's the idea of idolatry. And I've been kind of thinking about this um, idea for some time, and and then the verses kind of landed on it um, this week, and and I thought, um, yeah, it's felt the call to to speak about it. And what I want to suggest is that in these stories, both the rich man and the Pharisee story, the parable of Pharisee, Jesus' condemnation is. Is to point to that idolatry as, per, as preventing them from following the way of the kingdom. To point to that idolatry and preventing them to follow the way of the kingdom. And that is a call for us to repent and turn away from those things which we idolize. So in the Ten Commandments, um, Decalogue, as we all know it, um, the first two commandments um, are, um, depending on how you count them, apparently they counted differently. I learned that today um, or yesterday. Um, the first two commandments are generally, "I am the Lord your God; you shall have no other gods before me." And second, that you should form no graven images. And these are the um, the you should have no idols kind of propositions. Growing up in Malaysia, I grew up around physical signs of what we typically understand to be idols, right? Statues of gods that were not of the god we understand to be God. And so, in the formation of my faith, I remember being so easily stand up to point to these statues and say, "Well, I'm not bowing to those, and I worship no other gods." But then coming back to New Zealand,、um, the lack of those presence of those statue gods、um, made me ask the question: Where then are our idols? Where then are our idols? As as we as many of us know,、um, idolatry isn't as simple as looking at what graven images we have made are. There are many different、um, definitions given to idolatry, but at the very core of it, as Tim Keller states, is not just worshiping a statue, but putting anything in the place of God. Not just worshiping a statue, but putting anything in the place of God, is where we place anything, whether physical or otherwise, in the place of God. This is to place our trust, our time, our devotion, our attention on anything other than God alone, and this is at the core of idolatry. Martin Luther, not the king one, just the old Martin Luther.、Um, it's good to clarify,、uh, different people.、Uh, um, He says that not only the adoration of images is idolatry, but also trust in one's righteousness, works, and merits, and putting confidence in riches and power. As the latter is the most common, so it is also the most noxious. So here in the story, we see two men: the Pharisee who prides himself on his own self-righteousness, 
And in this, he seeks to rely not on God for what he has created to be his own God, his own self-righteousness. And in the second story, we see a similar thing. The rich young man places his value on his wealth. Now, how we understand wealth here is, is, is quite important. Um, the, the Jew, and I could go into this a bit more, but um, the Jewish and I believe the biblical view of wealth is that wealth is a gift and that we are, we are, we are called to be stewards of that wealth. That, if, um, that you have wealth, that you're called to be stewards of it. And this is a stark contrast to how we understand wealth today, generally, and um, culture, that wealth is something that we have earned um, through our effort, that somehow we, through our work or whatever, we've earned that. Um, and so what I want to say is that in this, the rich young man is idolizing his wealth and idolizing himself through it because he's, rec- he's not recognizing the stewardship that he has of God and therefore um, his generosity. So sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And prevents him from fulfilling his, fulfilling his two commandments. He has created another God in the image of wealth. So my first point I want to bring tonight is one. At first, this. We idolize the things we place our value in. We idolize the things we place our value in. That's when we give our time, attention, and devotion to anything other than God. And that becomes an idol. And, and this can be anything. As Tim Keller puts it, um, again, um, an idol is usually a good thing but, um, that we make the ultimate. I'll say it again. An idol is usually a good thing that we make the ultimate. We say, unless I have that, I am nothing. For these two men, it was wealth and his righteousness that they put the ultimate. Um, like for, for the Pharisee, it was to seek, he was seeking to live a good life. He said, I'm not a robber or an evildoer. Good things to aspire to. Um, and, but, but the difference is he made it the ultimate thing. John Calvin um, says that the heart, human heart is a factory of idols. Intense quote. Um, he's an intense man. Um, but I, I think this is an apt description. I, I mean, it's for myself. For myself, I can name these idols which come up time and time again for me. Their names, um, desire for knowledge and intelligence, desire to help, each, help others, uh, my work and career, and even justice. These, these are idols that have come up for me time and time again that I've placed in, 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 placed in the place of God. These aren't bad pursuits in themselves. But... Um, but putting them ahead of God, in doing so, I've made them my idols. So point one, we idolize the things we place value in. Now, why, why is this important? Why, why is it important that we um, don't idolize? Um, well, we see in these two passages that these, that these idols, self-righteousness and wealth, prevent these men from entering the, kingdom, the life of the kingdom, to follow in the way of Jesus, and for the um, rich man, literally, to follow Jesus. And I want to suggest that a key reason for this is that, what we, um, that our worship shapes who we are. Who we worship, what we worship shapes who we are. Does anyone remember the phrase, um, you are what you eat? Remember that phrase? It went around for like a good 10 years and it's disappeared. Um, I, I was buzzed out by it as a kid. So I legitimately thought it was like if you ate a broccoli, you became a broccoli. And I was like, I don't know what to eat then. Um, and then I played this game, computer game, which was like, feels like a fever dream now to me, um, that, you actually, that actually happened. And so I just didn't understand the phrase. And so I was like, okay, whatever. What's that? Nature tames us. <laughs> Nature tames us. Yeah, so what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> What did that you speak about today? Oh, about how nature tames us. Uh, 
Anyway, I don't know where they came from. <laughs> um, I finally Googled this week, and um, it's just to eat healthier. I don't know why they don't just say that. Uh, now, I want to suggest this is the same for our worship. You are what you eat. Um, we are Imago Dei. We are created in the image of our God. God created us so that we may worship her. We have formed the image of God to worship God. We are created to imitate, to be in the image of what we worship. And so I want to suggest that when we worship things that are not God, when we worship the idols we place before God, that we become formed, our character has become shaped by that because we imitate the ones that we worship. Take, for example, the rich young man, the rich young ruler. His idol, one of wealth, prevented him from following Jesus' command to sell all he has to give to the poor. His idol, which leads him to hoard wealth, to live in a way that lacks generosity. The, the two commandments um, Jesus gives is to love God and then to love your neighbor. Right? Um, and we see the inherent link here. For the, um, the idolatry of money and wealth leads the rich man to love neither his neighbor nor, nor to love God. His heart has been shaped by what she worships. His heart has been shaped by that which he worships and that prevents him from following Jesus. Now, um, a point I really want to quickly clarify is that I don't, want, I don't want to overgeneralize this passage because Jesus is making a very specific commentary here as well about money. Um, and sometimes by generalizing it, kind of being like, oh, Jesus is generally talking about idols. We kind of miss the full force of that. Um, here, Jesus is specifically talking about the idolatry of money. And he says, you know, the rich, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than through the um, camel through the eye of the needle. And I think what, um, in my reflection, my reading of it, um, is that money can so quickly become our idols. Like, as a, as it's in human nature for money to become our idols so quick. I know it's true for my life, and maybe it's not true for you. But I think Jesus is making a generic commentary on idolatry, but specific co- um, specific one as well about the, um, the, the potential and the power of wealth and money to become idols. Just want to um, add that there. Now, one more thing I want to say is that idolatry is not simply problematic because of your somehow individualized relationship with God. This kind of um, me and God um, relationship that's, that's obviously impacted by that. But actually, this is, impacts the community at large as well. It impacts the community around them, around us. Like for the rich young man, his idolatry led him to hoard his wealth. And he no longer acted as a steward of God's wealth, but a hoarder of it. And in doing so, he deprives the neighbor of the gift that God's giving them. Of the gift. And he had been shaped so much by his idolatry that it impacted the community around them. So I want to suggest that... When we, um, when we deal with our idols, we're not just doing it in a privatized relationship, but that it actually impacts the community around us. Thanks. <laughs> Therefore, point one, we idolize the things we place value in. Point two, idolatry shapes our character and prevents us from following the way of Jesus. Drinks break. So good. Yeah, scripture union. I think I stole it from here. I found, found it in the back. Chelsea. <laughs> Chelsea. Um, and I think this is where, as in the first story, um, repentance finds its place. This is where repentance finds its place. J.I. Packer describes repentance as repentance is, uh, involves a radical reorientation of our desires and priorities, putting God first above all else. A reorientation, a radical reorientation of our desires and priorities, putting God first above all else. 
little story. Um, well, some of you know the story, but um, I should, to be honest, I, I shared a story this morning, at, um, this sermon this morning at Brooklyn, and um, I wrote this kind of sermon quite late one night, um, not last night, another <laughs> night. Uh, <laughs> um, I prep for this, and I was like, oh, I need to do a story. So I was like, oh, let's tell a story from my life, which I think is true. Um, but as I, as I spoke about this morning at Brooklyn, I was like, man, this is really true um, for me. So, um, so for me, an idol that I was forced to give up was the security of what I did for my work. Um, in my previous job um, as a lawyer, um, um, I would love when people asked me what I did. Not so much because I wanted to tell them I was a lawyer. Lawyers don't really have that good of a rep, especially in this community. Um, but, but rather than I worked in an area that I felt like I was working towards justice. Um, I felt like an area that I was like, I'm, I'm doing the good thing. I'm like the good lawyer. And this was a place that even, even now I felt God called me to, this specific place and a specific role. And, and, I, and I guess if that's the case, why, why shouldn't I place my security in that? Why shouldn't, can't I um, put my identity in that? But as Tim Keller put it, I had made the good thing my ultimate thing. I was so caught up in that that it became to transform my heart. In my idolatry, I found myself grounded in that identity. I can list ways that, that, that impacted that, but um, let's not do that. Uh, one day I felt that, and one day I just felt the challenge from God. Would you give this up for me if I asked you to? And like the rich young man, I felt a great deal of sadness. This is where I felt God call me. This is where God felt God call me. Why is he asking me to leave this behind? And what I had done is I placed it ahead of God. I began to worship what I did and who I saw myself to be. For me, the radical reorientation of my heart, the repentance that I was called to do was to leave. And I'm not saying this is for everyone. This is not necessary for every case. But at least for me, looking back, if I hadn't obeyed that call to leave, that that would have become the ultimate idol for my life. In this first story, we see the tax collector take up this call. He humbles himself before God and admits where he has acted contrary to the will of God. He beats his chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus commends him. He commends him because he recognizes where he had placed his priority. He placed God first in that, in the radical reorientation of his heart. The rich young ruler was um, offered a similar path, a clear path to repentance, to, um, to sell what he had and give to the poor. Yet he declined. He forgot the very first commandment. And Jesus, when Jesus reminded him of this repentance, he walked away sad. He declined Jesus' offer for radical repentance to reorientate his heart back to which God had placed, uh, which placed God first. For, for me and for the rich man, um, that required a physical action, a physical thing to reorientate that. And that may not be true for everyone, but um, for, for me and this man, that was the case. And I want to be clear, because um, I wasn't clear this morning, I realized afterwards, um, that this is not something we do alone. As the Pharisees ask Jesus straight after he says, um, you know, um, sell your wealth, follow me. He, the Pharisees ask Jesus, how can anyone be saved then? How can anyone be saved? And Jesus' reply reminds us, with humans it is impossible, but it is possible with God. With God, is everything is possible. And it's in turning to Jesus that our redempt, and his redemptive power that we can repent and reorientate ourselves from the idols. It's not something that we can try like, to do ourselves. Like tomorrow, um, we can't sit there and say, we're going to do this. But true Christ and true relying on Christ's redemptive power that we do this. 
yeah. I think, yeah, just to yeah, really name the, the stuff that comes up with the stuff, you know, like guilt and shame, these aren't of Christ and they're not what Christ used to restore us, but um, Christ gives us a new hope in that. So just want to name that as well. One last image I want to leave you with. Um, one commentator, I, I really enjoyed his analogy, um, used his analogy of salt water. And he says that idolatry is like sipping salt water. Sipping something that you think is quenching your thirst, but as you sip it more and more and more, it eventually kills you. It actually does not satisfy. And only replacing that salt water with the fresh water, the true water of Jesus, can we be truly satisfied. Idolatry is like sipping salt water, and only with Jesus we can be truly satisfied. Therefore, point one, we idolize the things we place our value in. Point two, idolatry shapes our character and prevents us from following the way of Jesus. And point three, repentance is a radical reorientation to place God before all things. So I guess this is my challenge today as we enter a time of worship. Maybe Connor can start coming up or whenever you're ready. Um, where have you placed things, whether good or otherwise? Where have you placed things, whether good or otherwise, before God? And where do you need to ask Christ to help you to re- radically reorientate yourself to place God above these idols? Where have you placed things before, um, placed things before God, um, ahead of God? And where do you need God, Christ to help you radically reorientate yourselves to place God above these idols?